0: the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 163 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your day to spend with us. We're on Twitter, my account's at JustinHughes365, Andrew is at AMCQ82, and the podcast official account is Baseball365Pod. We're back from winter break. Took the week off last week, and now it's time to do what so many people like to get started on at this time of year, and that's the position ranking episodes. And tonight we're starting it behind the plate with catchers. And you know, I'm going to quote our buddy Lucas Speer, who was just on our last podcast. He, I just saw him quote like about an hour ago, saying it is law that fantasy baseball content starts with the backstops, and we're going to follow along. Let's get Andrew on, and Andrew, how are you doing, man? How was Christmas break? I mean, I haven't talked to you in three full weeks now.
1: Yeah, it was pretty good other than my uh, airport debacle. Did I tell you about that? I saw a little bit about it, but why don't you share? <laughs> yeah, it was um, so I f- flew down to Atlanta to my sisters. um and I was gonna be there from the twenty first to the twenty third. And on the night of the 23rd, we were flying back and we were in line, essentially ready to board the plane and the flight got canceled. So then we had to figure the flight out, you know, For and it was late. So it was going to be the next day. Um, I was pretty irritated at this point, but my sister lives about 45 minutes from the airport. So we didn't really want to go back there just to turn around and come back super early. Yep. Didn't really know about getting a hotel, thought about driving home, but obviously far drive from Atlanta. We'd had to rent a car. So we slept at the airport, it was me and my girlfriend. And I think I probably slept for about an hour yeah. roughly total. Yeah, it was horrible. And then in the morning, they postponed it about another hour hour and a half i actually listened to the podcast though with uh you josh and lucas during this time so (laughs) that was one good thing that i had going but um yeah we boarded the plane late we get on the plane we're flying back and at a certain point on the flight i was like oh i'm gonna check where i at where we're at so i hit the flight tracker to see like kind of where we were at in the air and we were coming from atlanta to northwest indiana And we were doing a circle and turning south. I'm like, why are we doing that? It makes no sense. They get on the intercom. They said we could. The whole reason that it was delayed in the first place was the fog in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't land. So we had to go. We got all the way to northern Indiana and had to go back to Nashville. This is on the morning. This is on the morning of Christmas Eve, you know. Oh, no. So we had to go all the way back to Nashville. We stopped in Nashville. We were probably there hour, hour and a half. And then we finally flew back. Put it this way. From the time I left my sisters in Atlanta till the time I got home, it was right about 24 hours. And it should have been about, I don't know, eight or nine like that. Yeah, that's gross. So, yeah, it was it was miserable. Other than that, everything was great. I had a great time there. Great time when we got back, but, um, yeah, that was a pretty aggravating 24 hours. It didn't sleep and, uh, just luckily had some podcasts to get me through it, but
0: yeah, no offense to Josh, uh, Josh and Lucas, if you're listening, but I, if, if with all of that story, us being your bright point of that, <laughs> yeah, that, that's not that much. <laughs> yeah. I've had bad experience, like, my company is based out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I've had a lot of connecting flights through that Atlanta airport over the years. I know that's a big one for connecting flights, and, yeah, I've had a lot of bad experiences with that airport. I I definitely remember one of my angriest moments I've ever been with customer service happened there about six, seven years ago, and even then I wasn't a jerk by any means. They ended up putting me in a hotel that night at least. Like, they didn't do that for you, huh? even though it was delayed no
1: no they they claimed and I kind of get this from their perspective but they claimed that because it was weather there's nothing they do okay you know if it, if it's something where it's their fault they'll do mm. things but when it's weather it's just weather you know it's no it's nobody has control over it so i get that it was just extremely aggravating i was glad that we had done it on the 23rd as opposed to the 24th. Cause yeah. then it could start bleeding into Christmas and stuff, but we were back by all that time. So it was, it was fine.
0: Sounds miserable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's yeah, some good tough. stuff in there. didn't, I I don't think we talked about this on the episode last time. I think we talked about it right as we finished, but you guys got a puppy, didn't you? Did Was yeah. that talked about on here? Or was that No, afterwards?
1: I don't believe so. No. Yeah. That was, that was a couple of weeks before cuz we had to get it early. Uh uh-huh. uh. Originally we we're going to wait till Christmas day, but um yeah, he's he's wild, but um <laughs> yeah, it's fun.
0: What kind of dog is it?
1: Uh he's a mix of a Bichon Frise and a Yorkie. There's actually another name. But it's like part Yorkie, part something else. I forget the other. But yeah, he's uh He's a big ball of energy, that's for sure. Puppies or a are a little, little, ball, little ball of energy, I should say. Puppies are a lot. <laughs> yeah, they're so yep. much
0: fun, but my gosh, they are a lot of work. Whenever you just get them, yep. so yeah. If I remember when I post the podcast, I'm gonna tweet a picture of the dog. If you, uh, as long as you're good with that, you guys can see how cute this dog is. I've seen it; it's freaking
1: adorable. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, we're going to get started on catchers. Uh, this is probably going to be a two-part episode. We're also going to do utility-only guys. We're going to get that out of the way. All, like, basically Otani and a couple other players. But we're going to touch on them at the very end, too. I'm guessing it's going to turn into two episodes. We'll end up splicing it. Uh, before I get started, I'll, I want to explain as I'm go Like, we're going off of this off of NFBC ADP, and I'm doing it off of draft Champions Leagues only. And really, over the last thirty days, like from when I made these notes, uh, right now we're recording this on Thursday. I pulled the, I made the notes on Tuesday, so basically the last thirty, a month before Tuesday. So, Andrew, do you? I like. I thought I'd let you explain because you're the one that um, had that preference, and I like when you mentioned it to me about a month ago that that's how you look at rankings, and I thought it was a really good point. So I've started doing the same.
1: Yeah, I mostly just try to keep it consistent whatever I'm looking at, you know. But um I think it's good to do most recent data. Um especially this time of year it's maybe not quite as big of a deal, but as you get into March, if you're looking for ADP or if you're looking at ADP for the whole off season, some of the early data can throw off the the total, you know, the total amount just because someone's situation could have drastically changed or, you know, after a player signs, their value goes way up or, you know, a catastrophic injury obviously goes way down, things like that. So and, um I think it's always good to look at – you want enough of a chunk that it matters. You know, you don't want to just be looking at four drafts unless it's the only four drafts you can look at, like right at the beginning, but you also don't want to have too much to where – you know, drafts when you're in March drafts from like November, December, they're not really that relevant. So,
0: yeah, we got 46 drafts on this one as the number, but yeah, all, so much changes as changes. There's the injuries. And also on top of that, there's like the backup guy or whoever gets it like maybe stepping up into that role. Now that, that changes their ADP too. Like, you know, like we know we're not drafting Max Scherzer as, where we were before or Indy um, Rodriguez, but we'll be talking about somebody else um, who will pop pop up a little bit because of that. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. We've talked about this position in terms of our draft strategy a lot that maybe more than any other position so far this off season, but it's January now. And a lot of people start shifting over from fantasy football to fantasy baseball in January or they might listen to this in February March even because you know, draft season's coming up, and so we, they might be listening to this a month later. But either way, some haven't heard us talk about catchers. Andrew, what's your strategy in a standard two-catcher league?
1: Um, I've been playing around with it a little bit early on here. Uh, I think what I'm most comfortable with is getting one of, I would say, my top... 13 maybe um, even more so like one of the top 10 and I don't, I don't really mind. There's a group, there's a group that I really like kind of right around that range. I don't really mind taking even two from there. Definitely at least one if I haven't gotten one to that point. Um, but yeah, I like, I like feeling good about my catchers. I just, I feel like with other positions, the options are so plentiful like you can always find an outfielder you can always find a starter you can always find a corner bat um but there just gets to a point with catcher where it's ugly and yeah you know maybe you hit on a breakout like there's there's a couple guys i like late late but um for the most part i think the top guys are just the ones that you feel good about, you, you know, you construct your team and, um, yeah, that's just, that's just kind of where I'm, where I'm at with it and where, where I feel like I've been with it for the last few years too. It's just, I like have I don't like guys. I don't like having to have guys at the catcher position that are just dragging my team down, you know, because I, I feel like if you have guys that are helping you or at least not hurting you, it's just creates, a higher ceiling overall for your entire team. How do you feel about all that?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty with you. I you have had that strategy. We've talked about that a lot over the last 3-4 years and I've not been as near near like that. I haven't that's not been my mindset cuz I've seen sleepers and guys that I really like to where I've been okay waiting. And this year a, I think it's spending some time really diving into looking at these elite the elite guys and even the second tier guys and what they provide compared to projections for those back end guys and seeing the difference in the cat like specifically the batting average department, not getting drained at that. And all and also just the runs in RBI, those counting stats really there's a big you you can see big tier drop offs as you go down this and I'm really starting to feel the need to get one of those top 10 to 15, like you said, if not two. And usually by about the end, like I, it's usually two by the end of the like top 20. And so, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, if you're in a one catcher league, how does that change?
1: Uh, in a one catcher league, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't care about it as much. Um, although it does, de- it does depend a little bit. I kind of, I kind of always look at it in a little different sense of, you know, some people will say if you're playing in like a one catcher, say ten or twelve team league, mo- most people would just say, oh, well, I can just wait forever and just take whoever, and I get that totally because you kind of can. I mean, even the twelfth best catcher is pretty solid, mm-hmm. but the way that I look at it is. I could take a stud catcher and still have stud outfielders, stud starters, stud, you know, like feel good about the rest of my team. 15-teamer, maybe it's a little different. I don't really play in a ton of – or really any one-catcher, 15-team leagues. But yeah, I guess it kind of just depends on how you look at it really.
0: Yeah, I probably would wait, but I also understand, like, if you take one of the elite guys, the top, top, I, I probably am not taking, like, I'm either getting one of those top two or three guys, three or four, or three or four guys, or I'm waiting. I think I'll say yeah. it that way is yeah how I would word it. And, yeah. Okay, let's get started, and we're going to start with the number one guy, and the number one guy is a clear number one guy this year, and that's Adley Rutschman with an ADP of 52. He played his first full season last year and he hit 277. His triple slash was two seventy seven with a three seventy-four on base and a four thirty-five slug with twenty home runs, eighty-four runs and eighty RBI. Which that those are all great statistics. But um I was I, you know, I was looking at this and I was sitting there thinking about what the like ceiling upside for Adley is. Because I think there's some of that in this, like that's already good statistics. But I think that there are people, and my, myself included, that know that there is another another level or two with Adley. And I wanted to know what statistically you thought was his ninety-fifth percentile stat line. Like, let's say he reaches peak or near peak right there, what does that look like
1: to you? <laughs> um, I. I think you you talking just like pure numbers. Yes,
0: you can answer it however you want. Them. I
1: yeah. Well, what I guess my first thought when I read this question was I think I could I think he could win the MVP. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, you take Otani out of the American League, it kind of opens everything up, and I mean, it's like one of those guys. I wouldn't predict that he's going to win it necessarily, but I think he's a good dark horse pick. Uh, He was sixth in war among all American League hitters last season, excluding Otani. Obviously, he's in the NL now. But I think that's the ceiling. Um, And a lot of that is defensive value, too, you know, just in terms of an MVP race, which has nothing necessarily to do with fantasy for him. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I think the high-end outcome is – Really strong batting average, call it 280s, 290s, maybe even over 300. Um, 30-plus home runs, although I wouldn't project that. But obviously, you know, strong counting numbers, he's going to hit at the top of a great lineup or near the top of a great lineup, and all of that. Gets on base a lot. So you can kind of see he he really has, like, every skill to be a four-category stud at even a position like – call it first base or something you know and then you put him at catcher and it obviously just makes it all play up that much more so yeah I think that like in terms of his price I don't I don't mind it um I don't know how much like how many shares of him I'll have in redraft and it but it's more to do with the options that I like a little bit down the board as opposed to Taking him in the fourth round, but when he gets picked, I never feel like it's a bad pick. And and honestly, I may end up going there too in, in a couple of drafts. I, I'm not opposed to it at all. I, I like it. I think it's more floor than ceiling, even though I do think he has the ceiling. But like there's no way Adley Rutschman is bad. It just it's just no way. Unless he's hurt, you know? So um definitely one of those just Plug him in. Don't even think about it, and it's just easy, you know. And he's helping your team at catcher.
0: You know, only two catchers. I I, I did some digging. Have a higher projected batting average. Like I've Adley hit what two eighty two seventy five, somewhere in that range. I don't have yeah. the number in front of me. Oh, 277. Yeah, two seventy seven.
1: Two seventy seven. Yeah.
0: And like underlying number, when you look, when you dig into it, that batting average is legit. Like this is not one of those guys who had a fluky year i mean he takes walks he controls the strike zone well he he's a good hitter his barrel rates all that look really good um like what i i i wrote down and like my statistic again this is 95th percentile this is not projection but like a realistic possibility to me is like one of those triple slashes of three, four, five, or something in that range with 30 to 35 homers and 200 plus runs plus RBIs. And I think that's possible for him to have on his career year. I'm not saying it's going to happen now, but it, I'm like, it's possible.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is his home run total. I yes. think that's the one thing yep. that I'm not, positive if it'll be like 22 or 32. Yep. And honestly if he hits 32 or you know somewhere in there, boom. I mean he's definitely right in the MVP discussion cuz everything else is going to be good.
0: Yeah. And when I said like I mean he's he's got a good uppercut swing, his Barrel percentage is not, I I said barrel, I actually shouldn't have used that because his barrel percentage is only 7.5%, and that seems to be the thing, but he's really good at, you know, putting the ball in play, only striking out 14% of the time last year, and 13% walk. You just, that's incredible to hear about a, what, 25-year-old kid. That's awesome, in his first full season. So, I probably am, like... Like you, you already talked about his price. Maybe you're not getting in. I probably am not getting in in redraft leagues too much. I did take him in the auction just now, which is an OBP, and but I can defend it. Like I, I have no issue with somebody. Like I'm getting him there. I was probably a little more against it until I was looking at dollars earned and listening to a podcast last week. I was like the James Anderson one with Rotowire where he was talking with Rob DiPetrio and them talking about the advantage you get with that batting average, which I know batting average is a fluky statistic, but he's getting you that plus the runs in RBI are so much more than anybody else other than this the the next lump also. He just yeah, with the upside also, I I get it.
1: Yeah. And he should hit for and Batting average is fluky, but Adley should hit for a pretty solid batting average, if not a really strong one. Yeah. You know, I thought it was interesting. 11 of his 20 home runs came with him playing DH.
0: Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. That is,
1: Yeah, he played 108 games at catcher, 45 at DH, and 11 of his 20 home runs were while playing DH. That's That's part of it also. Honey. Because
0: they'll, I mean, he's going to get the games played with those um, DHs on games on the days he doesn't start. That's another big part of him. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll move on to the next tier. There's three catchers here going all within 10 picks of each other. We got JT Real Muto going at 76th overall, William Contreras at 83, and Will Smith at 86. For you personally, how would you rank those three?
1: Um, I don't I don't feel strongly really. I do think these are the next 3. I probably would go Contreras, Realmuto, Smith, but it's one of those things. Uh, there's probably not going to be many drafts where I'm drafting the second catcher off the board. So I I don't think I'm going to have to think about it too much.
0: Yeah, it's that's a good point. They're all lumped together. You just and I know that's something you're really good at is trying to get the end of a tier as compared to the top of a tier, like in those situations. Uh I think Contreras for me is too all like I feel like I really the more I looked into Contreras and I looked, was specifically as I'm starting an auction league, I'm looking at the dollars projected for catchers going off of steamer projections and William Contreras is actually closer to like close to Adley. And not, as compared to, to he's
1: number, he's, he's number one in the one yeah. I have pulled up. Yeah. Yeah. He,
0: he, yeah, that's right. And on base percentage, Adley's a tick ahead of him, but okay, Contreras yeah. is ahead in terms of batting average leagues. So that started making me wonder if I need to be like thinking a little different about Contreras and, you know, specifically for him, uh, um, Actually, I'll get to that in a second, but I think I'd have Contreras, number one, and then I would, you know, Real Muto and Will Smith, probably I'd go in that order, too. Maybe Will, maybe Will Smith. Let's talk about Real Muto, actually. You know, that guy had some dips in statistics this last year. Um, his on-base percentage was definitely under 300 for, you know, a good chunk of the first half of the year, but he also hit 20 homers and had 16 steals, which those 16 steals, you just don't get out of catcher. But should there be some buyer beware on him in terms of him being 32 now, turning 33 by opening day?
1: Uh, you know, maybe a little bit. I think it's some of it's reflected in the cost, though, too. He's not going quite as high as previous seasons. Uh, I know you're not the biggest fan of him at his price. I I don't mind him. I mean... I don't I think you dislike him more than me, or at least if I'm speaking for you, you can correct me on that. But um, I think for me, it's so the obvious positives double the stolen basis of any other catcher eligible player. Um, He was the number one catcher in 2023, despite declining metrics across the board. um, And, you know, declining walk rate stuff like that. And he's obviously into his thirties now. So you just wonder a little bit there, but I kind of look at it. Like there's not a ton actionable in terms of like, he's still going to play. He's still going to get the at bats. A lot of times with a player like this, when they're getting into their thirties and they have these things that, you know, warning little warning signs popping up, it's like, well, who's breathing down his neck? Well, nobody's breathing down JTR's neck, you know, like he's, he's still going to play and, get regular at bats and um, I feel like he's probably still going to run some. I, you know, there's always a chance that the steals just fall off the table, but still hit 20 home runs. Um, I expect his plate appearances to still be pretty high. He played 130 games at catcher, which Jeez, I, I think I is more than, that. yeah, I think that's more than anybody. Um, So, Yeah. It's like, you look at, you look at everything and it is kind of down across the board, but I just don't think that he's at risk of completely falling apart. Um, but I mean, the good thing is, is that this cost, if you want to fade him, it's pretty easy to fade him. Like you don't, you don't have to draft, uh, you don't have to draft him here. If, if you don't want to, there's some good options later and stuff like that. I just, it's, it's kind of a unique skill set still with with 16 steals being a potential outcome.
0: Yeah, that that is a separator. And you know, I went and looked up Jonathan Lucroy because I was remembering Jonathan LaCroix, just hitting a wall in his 30s and wondering what that looked like. And a, I remember Jonathan LaCroix and thinking about him and steals. And it's funny because his career high in a season in steals was nine but that was just looked at as such a rare thing at that time that he, nobody else did. And, you know, he stole nine once, and then the rest of the years he was like four or five or less. And, you know, LaCroix did dip in like 31, 32. That was his age, and that's something that's always been in my head. But on the same note, what Real Muto is doing is significantly better than what LaCroix was doing. To where I was like, okay, that's maybe I shouldn't be thinking of that comp, but I do have a little bit of a warning flag but I I'm with you that I mean it'd have to I like I don't know if it's just gonna completely tank like I I could see the skills continuing to decline but even declined it's still a good player
1: uh, yeah I mean he should he should help at batting average or at least not hurt you you know and I think the counting stats will be still pretty solid so yeah I, I think it's about right on him I mean I Probably go for Contreras over him, but one of those in that group, I think that they're all pretty close. What's the, your order there? You said Contreras first?
0: Yeah, Contreras. I think I'd go Will Smith, Real Muto, but, I mean, Real Muto and Will Smith I do think are close. Or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, real yeah, Real Muto and Will Smith are close. Um, Dynasty catchers, is Contreras the number two guy? Like, Adley's the clear one, I think, everywhere. Would, is Contreras the clear number two?
1: Uh, I don't know about clear, but I think he'd probably be two for me. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think so, too. But, you know, Will Smith is also a really good catcher. And then there's some other good one, young ones that are down below that we'll be getting to.
1: Yeah, real quick on Will Smith, just something to be aware of. Here, here's barrel rates starting in 2019. 10.7%, 129 108 103 and last year, six point seven. Hmm. So dropped off a lot there, um, and essentially traded fly balls for ground balls, which isn't really good. I mean, he still has strong strikeout and, and walk rates and an elite lineup, but um, yeah, I, I think you could make the argument for drop off as much with Will Smith as you can with Real Muto. So that's fair. That's why I would. T- that's why I would take real mutual considering that you can get the steals
0: one thing about Contreras up over the other two you know is Contreras gets a lot of DH games and Will Smith you know he had 14 DH games last year but that and JD Martinez was there so that's part of it but I bet a lot of those without even looking came when Martinez was injured and they have a new DH this year named Shohei Otanian I don't know how many games Will Smith is going to be getting in there over Show and their yeah. Shohei Otani. So, and then Real Muto never once DH last year, which because you know they had Bryce Harper, and even now they have Bri- you know Kyle Schwarber on that team. I doubt they're going to be wanting to DH him too often over those guys. So I just yeah that that's one other thought I'd bring up in terms of Will Smith. Like there could be less games played just because of Otani being there.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I hadn't even thought of that. He did only have 14, but that's still two weeks 14 games. Game. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's a really good point.
0: All right, uh, we'll move on to number five, and that's Yiner Diaz, who's got a 107 ADP, and he's kind of on an island on his own here. He's 21 behind Will Smith, and he's 30, so two full rounds ahead of the next pick and tier. Um, Yiner didn't catch games last year, started by – For Verlander or Framber this year, as I actually heard that on that um, James Anderson podcast I was talking about last week, the Rotowire one with Rob DiPetrio. He was saying that. Really good podcast, by the way. And Yiner's projected for 441 plate appearances. You know, the statistically looks good, but, um, you know, 441 makes me wonder if they're thinking he'll be a part time catcher again this year. You know, Maldonado's gone. But Victor Carantini's in. Anyways, my question: to You would you draft like when you think of Yainer Diaz? Would you draft him assuming he's starting more games this year compared to last year?
1: Because
0: it is still, you know, an early pick here.
1: Yeah what did what did he start like ninety six games? I think I've got down here.
0: Uh, um, I don't like have that. it in front
1: of me. So go. F- but I don't I don't believe he was a true regular until about June. Yes, correct. Um and from June 1st on, he was the number 4 fantasy catcher. So, yeah, just in terms of games, I yeah, I think he'll start more this season for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm I think he probably will too. I mean, as you know, Maldonado may have been a preference for the veteran guys, and now he's got a full offseason to work with some of these guys in the spring training to where I'm with you. And if, I, if he gets more playing time and get like, like you just said, he was a fourth catcher from the time he came up, and the stuff he provides is really good. I mean, looking at him, I, like I saw that the, you know, the batting average projection is an incredibly handy 273. No one, and no one has the power and batting average projection that Yiner has that's any anybody, anybody after him you could the um it's you know you can get a couple batting average guys but they don't have the pop he has or there's the guys with pop but you know they're going to plump like they're just not projected to do what he's doing and the the question is about the games played cuz Jordan is mostly a DH in Houston um You know, I went and looked, he played, Jordan played 73 games at DH, 40 at left field, and maybe they work it out and put Jordan in the field on days that, you know, Yiner can't catch, and maybe that's a way they do that to where they can kind of keep playing both in, but the more I dug into Yiner, the more I really do like this price because of what he offers in the batting average and the power juice.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, he played 36 games at DH, I would guess that. A lot of those were when Jordan was hurt, maybe. I mm-hmm. don't know for sure. But, That's what I was wondering. Um, yeah, I don't know that for sure, but it just seems like that would make sense. But, yeah, 288 expected batting average. Um, pretty solid across the board. I mean, he's he was pretty bad against lefties. He's got some crazy reverse splits. 931 OPS against righties. 620 against lefties. So, hmm Maybe something to be aware of in like daily leaks, but, uh, yeah, I wonder a little bit about like the sample size of how good he was just wondering if it's, um, if it's enough that we should be taking it this seriously, but within the context of catcher and what it is, I think it's probably fair to, especially given the offense and given that he's pretty young, it's not like he wasn't a hitter coming up through the minors. He, really has been so um yeah i don't mind the cost i definitely would put him behind the top four which is where he's at and i think he's closer to the next group than the top four so i'm not sure if i'll be if i'll be like taking the leap with him as the fifth catcher when i like some of these other guys too but um i don't mind it either i mean i i think he's got pretty good amount of upside so
0: yeah you just said what I was going to ask you next which is you know you don't like to take the top of the tier and if he's in an island on his own what are your thoughts but if you think he's closer to that next tier then yeah you just probably keep
1: waiting yeah I I feel like in the drafts I've been in uh, the one I'm in now he went just barely ahead of this next tier so I don't know if um I don't know maybe future drafts it'll be more distinct but I I haven't really looked at him at, on his own island in terms of drafts, you know, like in the drafts that I've been so far. But, yeah, we'll kind of we'll see on that.
0: Okay. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll get back, and we're going to touch on that next year. All right, we got six catchers here who are all bunched up in ADP between picks 137 and 154. These six catchers are all on average. That would be Salvador Perez at 137. He is also first base eligible. We got Cal Raleigh at um, 139 for Seattle, Wilson Contreras with St. Louis at 147, Sean Murphy at 148, Francisco Alvarez at 149, and Gabriel Moreno at 154. So just as a whole, you know, you've said you, you, you've liked some of, is this the group that you're saying you really like? I think that's where we're kind of both at. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely,
1: uh, I definitely like this group. Pretty much all of them. Um, I feel like you could get, you know, you're at a pretty fair cost on these. We're talking like round 10, round 11, Um, I know in the Roto Masters draft and hold, we both took both of our catchers out of this, out of this group. That's four of the six right there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think when, with doing that, you're not investing too much, like you're not going too high, but you're also getting the opportunity to potentially have like two top five catchers, you know? Um, and I, I think the best way I could put it is I will probably have one of these guys in every draft. That's what, kind of my plan. And then the second one could come from this group, too, or maybe the group right after it. Or, you know, I could potentially take one earlier or wait, you know. But I do like getting one at least of this group.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. You know, I like everyone on this list pretty much in this tier. I think I like Contreras and Murphy the most. Both had some wart issues last year. Um, Murphy reportedly dealt with a hammy and had some concussion issues in the second half. We talked about that before about how bad he was in the second half, but he was incredible in the first half. And if those problems are behind him in that lineup, I, I mean, he could be a monster. And Contreras is also in a really good lineup, and his skills seem to be improving when you look at him. Like, his batting average was the highest since 2019 this past year, and the data backs it up. He was yoked around by the team for his defense, and that honestly is my one fear with him because Herrera is well-liked, too. But, you know, I really like Contreras. I think I'd be willing to take that chance just because they're financially invested in him, and I think that they'll have to keep him in that lineup. So you pretty much said you like everybody in this group. Do you have any, any like, does it, is there anybody that gives you any sort of pause? Cause I've, I've only got one thing to say about that, but I'll ask you. First.
1: Um Well, just, just starting with, uh, there's more I like from this group than not like, so just starting with, um, kind of run through these guys with Sal Perez. Uh, I actually, I really like him this season. Um, He has some warning signs, but I feel like we've been saying that forever with him. Yes, correct. And he just keeps producing. And now, not only that, but he's going way cheaper than he's gone the last few seasons. Going to play between catcher and DH. You know, he's one of their better hitters. Um, Barrel rate did decline a little bit last year, but he should help in average and power had the third most played appearances among catchers last season so he's going to get the volume um and I like the depressed cost I know he's older and probably at more injury risk than some of these guys but I do like him with Raleigh uh most home runs among catchers in the last 2 years 57 11 more than any other catcher hurts in batting average but I feel like you you know I always hear oh, this catcher will kill your batting average. Well, my counter to that is how many catchers don't kill your batting average? Like, there's so many that do. And, I mean, Raleigh could easily lead the position in home runs again, you know? So, I like him. Contreras is probably my favorite of the group. Last five seasons, here's his rank among catchers. Eighth, third, fifth, fourth and eighth. What a floor. He's a floor guy right there. He's just solid. He's going to play um and on top of all of that, he had a career high barrel percentage mm-hmm. this past season, 12.2%, career high max EV, career best launch angle, lowest ground ball rate of his career cuz that was kind of always the issue with Contreras or you know when
0: Yep. Oh, yeah, I People remember. People who
1: complained about him. It, it was too many ground balls. Um, 10% walk guy. Yeah, he's just, to me, safe and could be one of those guys that you look up at the end of the year and he's like a top two or three catcher too. Like, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me that much. So, uh, definitely like him. And where are we at? Murphy. Yeah, obviously, Murphy had the bad second half. And then – but I like – I still like Murphy. His His – Stat cast pages, all red. Um, obviously, great lineup. I still like him, but, yeah, he definitely fell off in the second half. A lot of these catchers, I feel like, fell off in the second half. I wonder if some of that is just the wear and tear that goes with playing the position. And then the last two in the, in the uh, group here, Francisco Alvarez and Gabriel Moreno. Um, Alvarez... Alvarez is actually the one I thought of when you said who's the number two catcher in fantasy yeah or in dynasty yeah um, but I do think that he's one of those guys that is low floor too mm-hmm. low floor high ceiling um, just turned 22 which is incredible to be a relevant major league catcher at that age um, but second half, Slash line, 174, 270, 343, uh, did kind of limp to the finish line, even though he hit 25 home runs. So, I don't know. I, I think with Alvarez, there could be outcomes where he really struggles, but the upside is undeniable, too. And with Moreno, it was almost the opposite. He kind of improved as the year went on, way better second half than first half and then into the playoffs. So, just some of my thoughts. I I like most of these guys, pretty much all of them. Um, like I said, I wanna I want one catcher from this group in basically all of my drafts. A couple guys in the next tier too that I like. So, but yeah, this is my hot spot for catchers this season. I I definitely am targeting this range.
0: There's nobody from this group I wouldn't like. I'd say I wouldn't draft them at their ADP. And yeah, here's what, Here's my one thing I want to add though. In this group, who I take. Is I'm I would highly I, well, the, I'm going to have one thing in mind, and I what I recommend for others is pay attention to what you've drafted so far. In other words, maybe you've drafted a team that's like I did in the first Rotomasters draft and hold where I did not feel great about how I was in the batting average department, and I took Alvarez and Rally, and really in the grand scheme of things, I would have been better off taking some of the guys like Contreras or Moreno or somebody like that who are probably projected to ha- be better hitters, maybe don't provide quite the power that the others do. Well, maybe if you've drafted a team that needs more thump, but you've drafted really good like you've got a good foundation already set with bat- in the batting average department in terms of projection obviously, maybe I'd be more likely to take a rally or Francisco Alvarez in those spots. That's my only thing I wanted to th- mention is know your team going early on because i i really do think that different guys here can be constructed with different teams really well
1: yeah yeah that's a good point i i think uh cal raleigh and francisco alvarez are probably the two biggest batting average risks yep so if you have a strong foundation in batting average maybe need a little thump um i think those two are are fine yeah like i said I, i like all these all these guys. I feel like with every single one of these guys, you have a shot at getting you know, they're drafted 6 to 11 among catchers and I think any of them could finish in the top 5. So, mm
0: mm-hmm. mhm, agreed. All right, let's go into the next tier. We got 12 uh four more catchers here, 12 through 15, and I guess you could say this is the end of end of catcher one tier in 15 team leagues. All of these guys are between 167 and 174. So again, they're all really close together. And that would be Bo Naylor with the Cleveland. I almost said the Indians. Still trying to break that habit. Uh, Lokano O'Hoppe with the Angels at 168. 169 is Kiber Ruiz. So these guys are all one pick apart each. And then Jonah Heim at 174. How do you feel about these four in terms of how you would rank them?
1: Um, I would probably go Ohapi first, Naylor second, and then the other two. Um, I don't have a strong preference. After Ohapi and Naylor is probably where I'm waiting again. Uh, I don't have a ton of interest in Kiebert and Haim. But what about you? Funny enough,
0: I actually have Kiebert second. I went Ohopi, Kiebert, Naylor, Heim. I thought originally I was going to have Naylor and Kiebert switched, but um, when I looked more into Kiebert, he's another one of those guys that should finish with a good batting average. And I think the more I'm thinking about just not like having those guys that provide that and with a little pop. Now the team's bad around him, but then again, so are the teams around Naylor and Ohopi. They're all terrible teams. Like I was looking, I, I went and pulled up the the, bat, the lineups for all three of those teams. I'm like, geez, these guys are bad teams around these guys. And I just think that the batting average could be a big difference or, you know, I should say the teams around them should be a big difference from that tier above that we were just talking about. And this tier here in terms of the counting stats, but yeah, I think I'd put Qbert second on that group. The more I looked at it. So, I mean, one, one, why don't you tell sell me on Naylor over Keeper since we're actually um,
1: a I think him. I think the main thing for me with Naylor is I think you could get a sneaky like fifteen steals in a full season, um, or at least double digit steals.
0: Uh, he stole and, ten last year. To be honest, I missed that when I was looking at him, and I mean he is no, good.
1: No, no, he did, or but, not in the majors. Oh, my gosh. My bad.
0: I actually typed Naylor and pulled up Josh Naylor and was like, what? There you
1: go. (laughs) And I was like,
0: I don't remember that. But still, he stole 11 bags in 67 or five bags in 67 games last year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel like with Bo Naylor, the ceiling is kind of like what you get used to get out of Dalton Varsho at catcher which is obviously awesome. Um, I don't really think it's likely that he gets to that, but with just the ability to run in this range, it's like if Kiebert Ruiz had something that stood out to me that was going to push me ahead of him, he's just non-existent barrel rate, and I don't don't think that he has that ability to where I can get double-digit steals out of him. I do think Ruiz will get volume, so if you're just trying to rack plate appearances, I mean he'll he'll definitely get that. But I I suspect that Naylor does too. So yeah, I just like Naylor's upside um more than Ruiz. And with Haim, the main thing is just how much he fell off in the second half. I think fell off a ton. And a lot of what he was doing in the first half, I just I kind of thought the whole time, like this is this is gonna fall off soon. And then it did, you know. So um that said I think that's recognized in this price. Like he, for the season, I want to say he was the top, what was it? Uh, I had to pull up. Eight eight or nine catcher. And you're getting, it was seven actually for the season. And you're getting him at 15. So um, that price is probably fair, but just uh, just not a guy I've been looking at a ton, I guess.
0: So he had 95, the Heim had 95 RBI in 131 games. And I, again, did you hear that Depetrio Anderson podcast last week? No, not yet. Depetrio told um, James that he had something like 120. I might be off on the numbers here by a couple, but I'm in the right range here. He had like 127 at bats with runners in scoring position. And he asked James to guess how many of his RBI, of his 90 RBI came in those spots. And the number was in the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> which is just an insane amount for that for that amount of um. like, yeah, I, I'm as soon as I heard that I was like, it's time to down tick a little bit in my terms in my head in terms of are those 95 RBI sustainable? Doesn't sound like it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't t- I don't typically look too much at um, a stat like that, that I just feel like is an outlier. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't think there's anything predictive about Jonah Heim having 95 RBI, and that means that he will going forward. You know, I just don't really think like that. I'm looking more at like playing time, which I do think he'll have. Um, hard hit data, which is kind of questionable with him, and you know, second half fall off stuff like that. What do you think of Ohapi? Oh. I'm glad See you one? brought him up because I didn't really talk Cause about cuz I him. think he's ex- I think he's I I personally think Ohtani and Naylor are like right with the back end of the group above personally. I love Ohtani. Right? I love yeah. I, I I got my
0: hands on him in like I was really late into deciding I was going to play fantasy baseball this last year and I think in 3 of my 4 redraft leagues I grabbed Ohtani and I was sitting there just seeing his price And I was wondering if I was missing something for why I was taking him where I was. He was one of those guys I was waiting on. And I was like, man, I really like what I'm seeing here. Why is nobody else interested in him? Maybe, you know, he hadn't done it yet. He hadn't played much yet. And even now, he only played 51 games this last year. But, man, he showed some good stuff in those 51 games in the pop.
1: Yeah, 14 homers in 199 plate appearances. Yeah, it's pretty crazy
0: yeah and you know it's you can't just extrapolate that and i'm not at all but yeah i think he's a good player and i've i'm in on getting him if you miss that like miss out on that last tier take yeah i think he's closer to me to the tier above than he yeah than like to Jonah Heim. so i'm with yeah. you on it i really like a all right, well, let's move on. We're going to go into the catcher twos here now. And I've got a, a group of, what is it, 16 through 23 here. I'm going to list them off. They're all between picks 200 and 269. They're all in the 200s. Uh, Luis Campusano for San Diego at 204. Then we got Mitch Garver now at Seattle at 215. Tyler Stevenson at 232. Shea Langliers at 252. Danny Jansen at 259 Ryan Jeffers at 263 Alejandro Kirk at 269 and Elias Diaz at 269 so Andrew you've missed out on the tier of catchers above or maybe you've only taken one are you taking a stab out of this group or are you just going to continue waiting further typically
1: yeah I like I like some of these guys uh I think with Campusano, he's really been moving up, it seems, through yes, through the off season. Um and I was hoping early in the off season I was kind of looking into him and I was really hoping to keep all that on the down low, you know, quiet because he was kind of a nice sleeper, but he's just moved up so much. Uh but yeah, he's doing good things. Um, you know, doesn't not strike didn't strike out a lot and really didn't have the full full allotment of playing time no it wasn't the majority the of, the year. of the, yeah for the majority of the season i mean i think he only played around 50 games or something so it's not a not a huge sample with what he did but i feel like he's young enough with enough pedigree in a good enough lineup that he's definitely interesting as a guy that could break out but I also feel like that's kind of baked into the price, too. Um, Garver is one of those guys, I I just hate the landing spot. Yeah. I hate, I hate that he went to Seattle because I was actually starting to think with Garver that he is one of those guys that you could just wait on, and if you needed power, you just take him as your second catcher, and I think he's the type of guy that could go crazy with the power, but now he's on the same team as Cal Raleigh and um I don't know I just question how many at bats he's going to get and then Seattle's not the best for right-handed power. No, but so to to your to say that though,
0: you look at their lineup up and down and we've talked about that on the AL West podcast. There are so many holes in that team offensively that they need offense in a bad way. To where I think he could get in there and be the DH for that squad most
1: games. Yeah. Yeah, I, he probably could, I especially mean, as the uh, way it's constructed I'm, now. Yeah, I,
0: I, in case you, just as a refresher, this is their lineup right now. I'm just going to run down the names JP Crawford, Julio Rodriguez, Garver, Cal Raleigh, Ty France, and this is their six through nine right now, or five. Yeah. Cade Marlowe, Dominic Canzone, Luis Urias, and Josh Rojas. And then their <laughs> bench is Trammell, Dylan Moore, Sam Haggerty, and Seb Zavala. And if I recall, they don't have too many guys that are like on the doorstep from the minor leagues to come up. I may be wrong on that. I I, Uh,
1: Harry Harry Ford's like probably the only one, but he he's probably more of a twenty-five guy.
0: So with all that, unless they're just going to go out there and add a lot of bats, I, I I actually did not think about this until we're recording right now. Like this is this is me shooting from the cuff here, but I'm like. I actually think that he might be a good pick here because of the fact that he should I think he's gonna DH a lot on this team.
1: Oh yeah. I don't mind I don't mind him here at all really. I um I just I guess what I was saying, I just wish that the situation was.
0: It'd be a nice bit if better took but, him to be a starting catcher.
1: Yeah, well as as you laid out, I mean he's probably still should get still should get it bat, so yeah, um, and I think he has as much or more power as basically anyone that's floating down here at catcher. You know, so it's um, definitely interesting there. And then, yeah, these other guys, I'm probably kind of, kind of just waiting. I actually in the draft I'm in right now, I took Wilson Contreras, and we're in about round twenty eight, and I still don't have my second catcher. Oh, geez. so. That's not going to be a normal thing because I don't like how that part of it turned out. But um, it gets to a point where I don't feel like that there's huge separators. I'm kind of just looking for the guy that slips. And maybe if it's – maybe in like the range where I don't love anybody else, I'm doing it, stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think Jansen's done some good things, him and Kirk – that's so Obviously odd to see them with a
0: 10-pick of each other.
1: Yeah. And then, um, yeah, Langoliers and Stevenson have a little bit of upside. But, yeah, nobody that, like, completely jumps out to me, really, in this range. No, Elias Diaz is good for home games, but... Yep, this is a team. Anybody you feel good about here?
0: Not real. I mean, I guess now I'm Garver is the one. Um, outside of that, I really am not in love with too many of them. I mean, most of them are just guys. And to me, I mean, St- Tyler Stevenson, he should get playing time long, with health. But I mean, he's not somebody that's gonna like set the world on fire. But I do think feel better about him in terms of a bats. Shea Lang- Langleyer is just an awful team around him. You're gonna be struggling with the runs on RBI with a lot of these guys, to where. Honestly, I might be like pick and choose. I think I would like Garver out of this group, but if I miss out on him, Campusano, like I think I might be just holding on and waiting a little longer. I right, are, are you how confident would you feel about like if you took Campusano because they did add Higashoka? Higa Higa I, I might be.
1: Higashoka,
0: Higa, yeah, terrible. They added him too and I I can't help but wonder if Campesano was to come up and you know get the start the year with the job and struggle you know he's been given playing time and as as a starter for the Yankees for a few years to where I like I wonder about that but I also I'm not like gonna sit here and say I think that's gonna happen but do you have any like yeah, yeah I'm 50 not, games
1: I'm not worried about Higashioka's cutting it really I mean I think ha Campusano would just have to be god awful yeah. where like anyone else would go in, but um barring something extremely drastic. No, I'm not I'm not really worried about that. He was so good. I think he's set I think he's set up well really at Campusano. I mean, there's not as much around him. I mean they had not that they were great, but they had Austin Nola and who else Gary Sanchez. Um, and they had Alfaro at one point in there too, right?
0: I don't remember that. But not maybe. that these
1: guys not that these guys were good, but when you've got a guy that's coming up like Campusano, and then there's like multiple guys in the way and all that, there's really none of that now. So that's uh that's definitely nice for him. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, that's where we're gonna wrap up this episode. And we are going to come back in a couple days and we will have the rest of the catcher rankings as well as the few utility only guys. We will discuss them. So thank you all for listening and take care, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, We would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, write us on iTunes. Once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where
1: baseball lives 365 days a year.